All right, welcome to the Ronin Rescue Cast. I think this is number 18. We've got Luke Coltrian. Uh, he's going to be doing a couple of back to backs with us. The first one we're going to talk about is Luke just finished the battleship course with American Emergency Response Training. We've worked with AERT for the last few years. You've got Arnold, you got Shane, uh, Tom, Bill, uh, Mousy, Mike, uh, Pickle. Those guys have really taken confined space rescue and put the confined space back into it. It is a different animal. And so what we're going to be chatting about today is just some strategies and tactics that make confined space rescue different from just rope rescue in a hole. And I guess to start with that, um, I know Luke's got a bit of a list going and I'm going to throw it right out the window and start with the team lead end of it. It was interesting. I just taught in Europe and they really have a this affinity to put the team lead in the action. They want the guy there. They want him, you know, looking at the event. Where with confined space rescue, where was the team lead a lot of the times, Luke? On the outside. They did not have the ability to go mobile and do their 360 and have a good picture of where they needed to be and what the final picture needed to be, whether they wanted it or or not. They needed to uh, get in on the action when... Realistically, it wasn't a uh, an opportunity for them to do it correctly. So, these guys that want to get into this space, what should they be doing? Like, what what's what's the latest that we've got out there for this? We need fast access to the patient. We need constant movement. We need to back up their constant movement of the patient through the system. Constant movement of the patient through the system, but as well constant movement of the rescuers. Okay. We have these lulls where through our NFPA. Our fire hall, you know, structure that we need to wait for command. We have a process that is in place. We have a patient that needs to be moved. We need to go, and we need to go now. Okay, so the team leader needs feedback from this, obviously. And this is a bit different feedback from a rope rescue where they can look and they can see, hey, I got Billy hanging on a rope here. I know what I need to do. So what do they need from their people going into the space? Unfortunately, it comes down to the rescues a lot of the time where it's easy to provide simple yes-no answers and this is where I'm at, be it our, you know, Alfred Bravo, Charlie Delta side of the building. It's what we're seeing, what we need, what that 5, 10, 20 is going to be in terms of packaging, the recon, and the movement of that patient in a way that the TL can understand what needs to be done without actually being able to see it. Okay. So you talked about recon, recce, as we call in Canada and the rest of the Western-speaking world. Um, except for you Americans. Ken's over in the corner laughing, yeah. Um, recce teams. A lot of this we talk about recce team goes in first. What's the recce team carrying with them? Fast access, everything they need to set up a quick system on a small horizontal or vertical realm. Uh, they need to have their kit squared away so that if they're going through small hatches, any hangups, whatever they need to do, it's manageable and they're able to complete their task without help from anybody else. So they're bash kits. I mean, that's kind of the term we throw around internal rigging kit. Bash kit comes from the caving community. We're talking a nine, eight, nine mil rope. Yep. Typically eight mil, 75 feet, uh, grabbing a number of pieces that we might see in the climbing community. Uh, some SRT technique stuff that uh, is more than applicable in different realms in the ship and different places, but, you know, it's all about what you're comfortable with. So let's break that down. I mean, SRT, a bunch of people just fell off their chair at home right now. Um, 
why SRT? What, what's the justification? I mean, and I, I'm sitting here all day and talk about SRT, but what's the justification in this case? Why are we looking at SRT on an eight mil rope here? Ultimately, by the time we get notified, we muster, we deploy, and we get to where that patient is, we are outside that golden hour. We know that something's wrong. We need to get that patient out. We need to have that constant movement and get them to a higher standard of care. Right on. So we got a recce team, recon team, whatever you want to call it, moving in. they got a bash kit. What about a med kit? they hauling a med kit in there with them? Absolutely. You know, for everybody up in Canada, we're looking at... Uh, you know, are basically primary, secondary, if we're not delaying any transport. Uh, for integrating with the American teams or, look, or the military side, we're looking at the March protocol, deadly bleeds, making sure that they're warm, they're dry, and we have the ability to manage that patient accordingly. So I'm going to go on a further tangent. I mean, we carry QRPs. We've updated them since podcast one. We're putting stuff in there like ridge rest, keep patients off the ground. We're looking at hypothermia protocols. So these types of things. We want critical interventions. We're not sitting there all day playing with these people and taking it. Absolutely not. We need to be ready to go as soon as we hit the ground and we have a team up above that's ready to move that patient. They can't be waiting on us and we can't be waiting on them. Right on. So the recce team, on air? If the situation dictates. They're proving the air as they move forward then and they're clearing that too. Proving the air. We want to be able to drop a line down, uh, doing everything we need to do. Also, you know, having a... uh, a aspirated pump, uh, getting us the testing that we need, as well as having those those badge uh, detectors on every one of our rescuers so that we're able to uh, manage the space accordingly. Okay, so our team leads outside, as we talked about. They're drawing a map, if I remember correctly from doing this. What, are they, what, what information are they taking back on this map that they're drawing? They want the ups, downs, the challenges, everything that's going to prevent us from moving fluidly and aggressively out of that space. We need to make sure that if there's going to be any additional gear that we haven't set in, uh, sent in initially with our, our uh, recce team that they've got it there by the time that they actually need to implement it and utilize it. So they're basically drawing the geographical challenges, updating themselves on the air, and then dispatching rigging teams in there to rig those geographical challenges. Absolutely. They've got to, for all intents and purposes, decentralize, give their, their team leads the ability to execute what the vision is, and that is ultimately getting the patient out, knowing that it's got to be fast, it's got to be smooth, and it's got to, it has to be the most efficient way possible without delaying getting that person out of the hole. A lot of what we do oftentimes results in undelayed communication lulls and you know situations where we've got that patient hanging for extended period of times that can't happen. It's interesting you say that because, like I said, just teaching in Europe, the entire team would move forward. You have the team leader sitting there, and all of a sudden you get them out of hole one, and I'm like, so what are we doing now? Your entire team's down here. you got guys ascending lines to get back up, and it's just, it's just taking time. So it's good to have that fluid motion. Absolutely, and part of that is having that patient advocate above and below the patient at all times. We can't ever bring ourselves into a situation where – the patient needs to be moved or helped in any way, shape, or form without having hands-on immediately. Uh, that's just going to provide further delay and result in, you know, potentially more harm to the patient. Okay. So we talk a bit about packaging. Um, we mentioned it in the past a little bit, but I want to get some feedback on the Class Two harness being used as part of the packaging, whether it be a spec pack, sked, roll-up, whatever you're using in that particular nest, whatever you're using in that scenario, and why are we doing that? Ultimately, it's redundancy. We know that 
regardless of what has been rigged prior to our arrival or even up to our arrival, we've had hands-on, we've done a self-check, we've done a cross-check, and we know that if things go wrong and we need to either A, exploit the situation to our advantage or have the ability to move the patient in a, in a way that we didn't necessarily plan, we have the ability to do so. Yeah, so rig lower, basically, is what you're saying. You can clip a further point down, yard them out of there. Absolutely. Okay. Have you guys, did you come up with any challenges in regards to the class two harnesses? Like what kind of class two harness were you using? Were there challenges involved with it? Yeah, we were using the, the Yates class two harness. There's definitely... The Latterman? Yep. Uh, definitely the ability, once you've rigged that harness on, if you don't have that patient essentially pre-tension below the initial lift uh, for the the harness itself to creep down and if everything's not exactly where it needs to be prior to tensioning the system and, and doing that full-on lift you have the potential to uh, create further harm to the patient okay um, so things like let's talk about the spec pack I know some of the rules now the manual says five to ten minutes the video says seven minutes I know over there they're rigging it a little bit differently instead of off of that main master attachment point for the vertical rigging. What are they doing there? That main attachment uh, up top is great. You know, it's class three. It's everything that we need to do for all of our, you know, essentially our hierarchy of getting somebody out of the hole, but it, it does not give us the ability to create additional uh, vertical to horizontal movement. We need to be able to create a pre-made pre-made system like an Aztec or a uh, uh, Petzl Jag to get that person out, you know. My personal m- favorite, three to one on a Grillion. Absolutely. <laughs> but carry you on. <laughs> throw, throw, throw that Grillion with a rescue sender and a, a non-locking roll clip. You've got everything that you need to hit it up fast and furious, right? Um, the, the unfortunate part within uh, that movement is that it creates that communication lull. And when you've got a team up top and a team leader that has created a, a map of what that situation needs to be, when there is a stop in the progress of that patient and he's not aware of why or the what or the how or what the difficulty is, it creates a further barrier because he has to ask questions that he doesn't necessarily need to do. Uh, or shouldn't do. Or, or shouldn't do. You know, for all intents and purposes, the plan has been discussed everybody's agreed upon it and as soon as we get to a point where we're deviating from that plan for the guys in the hole the the recce or the rescue team they need to be anticipating hey there might be a change of plans here my teal needs to know about this so he has the ability to adapt and you know so make with the decisions so with regards to the spec pack they're rigging the two red d rings on the front and is that to help be able to move them horizontally if they're hanging up too long, if there is a delay, a lull in that system? By all means. In certain situations where the patient disposition has the ability to connect those two red D-rings, yeah, that's fine. Um, some of the guys that we recently had on the battleship, we had to add a couple of pressics in there to give us the ability to maneuver a little bit a little bit better. It definitely gave us the advantage getting guys out of the hole. Okay. It allows you a little bit of horizontal movement to the vertical. Absolutely. Um, any other packaging devices you guys are using down there? In, you know, what I used to think were confined spaces and tighter areas, you know, we definitely utilize the SCED. Uh, you know, great device, but for all intents and purposes, any time we anticipate having issues, 
the the spec pack is that go-to device these days. Okay. It's just worrying about the time constraints on it. Absolutely. Anything that's going to prevent us from, you know, uh, have any issues with the body origami that's required to get people out of these uh, very convoluted or, as you would say, austere spaces, (laughs) we need to be able to uh, get them out fast. Okay. So... The team leader is drawing the map out. We've got the recce team in. They're clearing the air. They're searching the space. Um, you mentioned Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta. Are we designating levels and quadrants in order to do this in regards to the ship? Like, how are we searching? If we, to talk, if we were to talk about the ship specifically, every different space has... Uh, pre-existing branding for above water uh, above water line or below water line and we have the ability to you know kind of pre-plan that so to speak if not it's more of a this is what I'm seeing this is what I need you to understand and using very basic communication no 10 code no, no nothing like that uh, just you know making sure the TL has a, a good picture in his mind of what the challenges that you're expecting are so one of the things that we chatted about um with other teams is having the team leaders we used to call in the army Chris in the ground so he's identifying like you say on a ship you got starboard and port but you know we were working underground in a abandoned subway you know just identifying this is what we're going to call alpha or front or whatever so that when people are out there searching they can actually refer to something that the TL understands where they are and where they're moving through drawing that map yeah in terms of Chris in the ground there's you know the risk of delaying that rapid access to that patient. We have our dedicated uh, recon team. They need to get down there and fast. Um, you know, it's up to them to provide and you know paint that picture to let the the TL know. The more we take away from him, you know, understanding what the what the space is and how we're going to deal with it, the the further we're going to delay getting that patient moved. Okay. You got some other notes there, so let's just start hitting those line by line and having a few conversations about them. Yeah, you bet. Uh, The first one would be language. It was really interesting, you know, a little bit uh, north of the 49th and a bunch of the deep south. Uh, Even though we had the ability to talk about many similar things, oftentimes they were different. So having that pre-plan before you enter the space and having an understanding of what the expectations are between your team members is going to go a long way. It's interesting you say that. I mean, we're doing some work with other companies right now on different events and Ken and I were down there talking about cross halls and they're looking at us like, you know, what, what, what are you guys chatting about? They're calling them offsets. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you say, language, we, we're communicating, we're speaking, we're all speaking English, but we don't have a clue what we're saying. We may have speaking Greek. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's one of those things where making sure everybody's communicating the same way. The next one on there. Uh, Training, you know, ultimately everything leading up to my most recent confined space course on the battleship, uh, I thought I was dealing with confined space, but ultimately we were training in nice, clean, open, well-ventilated. You didn't smell like bunker yeah, fuel? Yeah, yeah there, was, there, was, there was no bunker C to uh, bring home to the hotel at the end of the night. You know, I, I would challenge anybody out there training with a technical team be it anyway, anything from you know a common workplace to mine rescue to a a functioning business team that you need to put yourself into a situation of being uncomfortable and getting comfortable with it. Um, I didn't realize the challenges of 
having to move, you know, 150 to 300 plus pounds through multiple spaces, levels, horizontal. Peanut's a good killer, Newton. Oh man, <laughs> that, that, that's more like a 2.5. Sorry, big cat. You'll you'll appreciate that one. Um, you know. It's okay, Arnold. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, you got you got to you got to make sure that you're aware of the difficulties and the challenges that you're going to have of actually moving a body through a space. I think we're really good at you know patting ourselves on the back and saying, oh yeah, we're going to be able to do this without actually challenging ourselves to actually move that person through a space that we might be presented with. I moved a uh, eighty pound soaking wet uh, lady through a space not too long ago. And I was sweating myself, like, through and through. It takes a lot. So, yeah. Uh, Next one on there, say gear. I'm reading it upside down. Yeah, gear, you know, making sure that you've got redundancy within all that. Uh, Having the ability to ensure that all your team members can grab anything off your rack at any point in time and use it for multiple different aspects. Uh, I don't feel that after going through the most recent Battleship course that Aside from maybe an uh, you know an ID or an ASAP, you should have anything on your on your harness that can't be used for multiple different things. Uh, you know things that maybe you haven't even thought about, but in a moment of we need to move this patient fast and out now, uh, the ability to do so. It's interesting you mentioned gear. I uh, my confined space rig is different from my rope rescue rig. My rope rescue rig, I run in a veil. My confined space rig, I run a Petzl Falcon Mountain. It's got no hard points on it at all. I've put in a couple of hard points, but that way I can squish through some of these holes. And as you've alluded to, the guys that are out there doing three by three foot hatches or, you know, 48 by 48 inch hatches, when you go down and you can barely get a mask and a helmet on through this hole, squid you know having the side d-rings or anything like that just start hooking up absolutely you know uh after going through a few days in the ship uh we had some active conversations about how are we going to provide ourselves the ability to move through these spaces without getting caught up without uh impeding the flow to the patient up or down uh you know the patient advocate aspect uh we're no good if we're we're if we're hung up and don't have the ability to maintain that flow. So, um, you know, less is definitely going to be more in, in my mind moving forward with confined space training. Right. Uh, what's the next one on there? I can't read that one upside down. Uh, something in lines with, you know, coming from the, the fire hall and mine rescue, uh, you know, working with, working with Ronan is the idea that, uh, the chain of command can actually be broken and that uh, rogue groups can be effective in making decisions as long as it's uh, effectively communicated to all of the affected individuals. And in our case of the battleship, you know, we were looking at six or seven different uh, decks, you know, multiple horizontal and vertical moves. And, you know, the TL did not have a fully painted picture, but we had to be able to convey that to him. And assure him that what we were doing was going to be safe, it was redundant, there wasn't any potential for single point failure, and we were going to be good to go, uh, which is really hard for a lot of us that come up through the fire halls and, you know, the NFPA structure of, you know, you never step out of line, there's no freelancing, but you got to ensure that you're continually moving that patient safely forward. Ken, you got a comment on that? Yeah, I'm just curious um, when you're saying kind of breaking that chain of command uh, aspect of it, how do you how do you effectively break that chain of command insert you know insert this new idea 
without affecting the overall commander's intent of that scenario? Like, how do you tactfully do that? Like, I'm, I'm just curious how the process went there. I think the, the process has to start before the rescue happens, and that's building that relationship with your TL, ensuring that he's aware of your skills, your limitations, and what you need to be able to do. And if there's any hesitations or concerns prior to you entering that hole, you have that discussion beforehand. So as a team lead, then, perhaps, as we're having our pre-entry briefing, hey, guys, this is my overall commander's intent of this scenario or how I expect it to go down. However, if, if when you get down there, things are different than how we've discussed, I'm going to be receptive of what you're uh, implying or what you're suggesting. It, it may supersede my overall and I have to adjust my view as the commander or the overall team lead, my vision on how that's going to work out. Absolutely. And that all comes down to that communication piece, clear, concise, and basic. Uh, you know, in, in high stress, uh, high risk, low frequency situations that, you know, we, we typically train to but don't fully understand or comprehend our own limitations. Because until you're in a situation where, you know, somebody's actually stressed out or hurt or needing to get out of that space, you don't know how you're going to react. And within our, you know, training scenarios on the ship, we definitely learned that as soon as you've got feet on the ground and you're seeing that ground level space or that ground zero where the patient actually is, you've already got an idea of if it's going to go good, if it's going to go bad, or if it's going to have some difficulties. (laughs) And what we learn through multiple evolutions is that you need to be communicating that right off the hop. Having said that, I also need to be able to trust your decisions as that sub-command, if you want to call it, and be okay with that without micromanaging that, without having eyes on. Absolutely. That's having that discussion about being able to prioritize, execute, and you know, pause, reorg, and move forward with confidence that the team members that you have are going to be able to execute the plan as needed. Little Jocko in there. Yeah, yeah. I got a picture with Jocko. Anyways, that's my claim to fame. What's next on the list? He wouldn't bring him over to the table to have a picture with the rest of us. He did take time for himself. Oh, wow. (laughs) I think it's really easy in training uh, for us to make ourselves feel good about what we're doing. And you know, witness to multiple different training organizations, situations, and uh, groups over the last couple of weeks is that is that sense of urgency. Uh, you need to truly understand what it's like to be able to move a body through convoluted spaces that have complete or absolutely no sight line uh, in terms of communication uh, restrictions, whatever may, that may be. I would challenge anybody, be it a team leader or a recon or a rescue team member, to actually take away some of those senses, be it the ability to see what you're doing with light, being able to bring on uh, loud noises, you know, a la Arnold Pena, uh, stereo blasting in your ear, ear as you're trying to, you know, communicate down to a guy three decks below and he's just laughing, um, you know, make yourself uncomfortable like we talked about earlier. Uh, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because when uh, when these situations actually go down, all the rules are out and you need to just maintain that constant movement towards getting that patient to help. So in summary, TL's got to trust their people. They've got to draw out a map of where they're going. we got to be on the same page communication-wise in regards to what that looks like to 
you know, make that map and whether those people can rig those areas or if they need more. We need a recce team in there that can rig and do medical intervention to start that process. We need additional teams in on those geographical points to move peanut, the meat, through the system and uh, hey, meat. and and get that patient eventually out of the space. So just for the people that are listening to this, I mean, I did the battleship a couple years ago. These guys did it this year. We're talking scenarios that are taking two hours. And they're not taking two hours because, you know, we can't tie a knot. It's taking two hours because we're moving people and multiple people through hundreds of vertical and horizontal feet of ship that you can't even stand up in. So, yeah, it's yeah. until you've started doing that, it's it's a different ball. Uh, totally different ball game. There was multiple points uh, over you know my week on the battleship where all of a sudden we'd enter a space and there'd be a seat and a bunch of control knobs and a telephone and some directions on how to execute what they needed to do. And I'd try and sit on that seat and my knees would be up around my face and I realized that there's no way I could have actually done what needed to be done there. So... You know, I know the seat you're looking. I know exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. That gun turret is something else. So, anything else in regards to strategies and tactics with confined space? Develop those relationships within your team. Have those hard conversations. Make sure that you're developing uh, the communication. Have a clear, very clear idea of how you're going to be able to overcome the obstacles, especially when the stress happens. When that adrenaline kicks in, it's really easy to uh, start talking fast, start moving fast, get the blinders on, and uh, move away from what the original plan is. Slow down, take a breath, execute, and uh, ultimately, let's make sure that we get the people out of the hole and safe. Awesome. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, you bet.